want to invite you, if you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're ultimately going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Um, I, I have enjoyed being able to, uh, to be here with you. Uh, this is now my third Sunday uh, to be with you. First one with heat in the room, so that has, has a different feel to it. But, uh, uh, but I, I have enjoyed my previous two Sundays. And uh, just thank you for the privilege of being able to come and to share with you uh, from the Word of God. I really do thank you for the partnership. I mentioned that the first Sunday I was here. Uh, the way in which you partner with the other Southern Baptist churches around the state through the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Um, as we get into the message this morning, and, and prior to that, I wanted to make you aware of a couple of things uh, that are going to be taking place um, among the churches of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention here in the next couple of weeks. One is, um, it's, it's an event called Lead Defend, and that is coming this coming Saturday, it is going to be at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock, and um, we, you may have not ever heard of this event before, but uh, it is important for us to be able to acknowledge that statistics tell us that between 70 and 80 percent of, of our children, when they graduate from high school and go off to college, 70 to 80 percent of them uh, leave the church at that time. Church is no longer a priority, and, and many of them actually uh, choose to leave the faith at that time. And so Lead Defend is a conference that um, allows for, there's a, there's a speaker that will be there, D.A. Horton. He's going to be talking about how to engage our culture as Christians. There are breakout sessions uh, related to um, uh, creation and science and human sexuality and all those different things that, that high schoolers and college students are wrestling with, and that's who the conference is really designed for. And so let me encourage you to, uh, to, to look into that. Uh, it is going to be a, a great opportunity. I, I think it is important for this up-and-coming generation to know that you can, you can have a brain and still be a Christian, okay? Our, our world tells us, no, you can't. You've got to throw that. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to throw it in the trash because that's blind faith. That is not the truth. There is tremendous evidence for not only the existence of God, but ultimately the fact that Jesus is the risen Savior and Lord and it can be the Lord of their life. So, so that is one event that's taking place. Another one, the next Saturday, is going to be taking place in Russellville, First Baptist Church uh, over in Russellville, and it is Inspire, and it is a women's conference. Women from all over the state will be gathered there uh, for a breakout sessions, a real time of encouragement and getting together. And there will be 700, 800 uh, women uh, from around the state that are going to be gathered for that event. So those are just two things that are coming up in the very near future where Arkansas Baptists are able to get together and come alongside each other and encourage each other uh, in the faith. Now, with that said, I want you to consider for just a moment. Uh, last week, my message I preached on encouragement, preached out of Hebrews chapter 10, and if you'll recall that we began that message by considering uh, the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And remember, I mentioned it is not good for the man to be alone. God created marriage, um, and that is for the purpose of, uh, of companionship, and then ultimately, of course, also being fruitful and multiplying. God had plans for marriage. Well, I want to be able, again, we, you've got your Bibles opened there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but before we get to that, I want to revisit the Garden of Eden one more time, if you will. Now, uh, you, you, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, uh, you're able to acknowledge that uh, this garden that God created that is described in Genesis chapter 2, it is a wonderful place, 
and uh, it is a perfect place, actually. God created this wonderful existence uh, for these two human beings to be able to enjoy, and there was, uh, they, they had free run of the place, they could, they could eat any, any of the food there, and it was, you know, we can just try to, to imagine in our minds what the Garden of Eden must have been like. And of all the things that they could do in the garden, there was just this one thing they could not do. And many of you are already well aware of that, and it's, uh, we're, we're able to acknowledge Genesis uh, chapter 2 tells us there were two trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden. One was the tree of life, and it had fruit on it. They could eat all the fruit off the tree of life that they wanted to. There was another tree beside it that was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam and Eve, he, he told Adam, he said, you can do anything you want, but whatever you do, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you will die. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know if it was a week that passed, or a month that passed, or a year that passed. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden enjoying this perfect existence, but the day finally comes, as we're able to see in Genesis chapter 3, the day finally comes when Eve encounters this serpent, and ultimately it is Satan attempting to tempt and to test the free will that God had given these two people. And, and again, many of us know the story. If you're not familiar with it, at some point you can read these first three chapters of the book of, of Genesis. But, but ultimately, Eve, she takes a piece of fruit off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and verse 6 of chapter 3 says that she ate it. And it says that her husband Adam was right there with her. He was right there in the midst of this, and she gave some to him. And he ate it as well, this verse says. And then verse 7 of Genesis 3 says their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden they realized something was wrong. They realized that they were naked, and they were, they were ashamed. They were embarrassed. And, and it says they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves and then it goes on in this passage and says in verse 8 that they could hear God coming. It was the cool of the day, Scripture says, and they walked with God in the cool of the day. What a great image. Boy, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I don't know what that would have been like, but every day in the cool of the day they just strolled with the Lord. I don't have any idea about what that was like, but how incredible. And another sermon for another day, that's what heaven's going to be like. We're going to be walking with the Lord just like that. It is going to be fantastic. But that's not the scene we find this day. Because on this particular day, they hear the Lord coming. He's walking like he always did with them in the cool of the day. And it says there in verse 8, one of the most tragic verses in all of the Bible, it says, what did they do? They hid. The God that created them, the God that created this perfect existence, you can do whatever you want. There's just this one thing you can't do. They had a perfect relationship with God, perfect fellowship with Him and with each other, and then the day came when they did that one thing they couldn't do, and they went from walking with God in the cool of the day until we get to the last verse of Genesis 3 where it says the words, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. 
How do you go from walking in the garden with him in the cool of the day, from being driven out by this God that loved them, that created them, that longed for this relationship with them? There is one word, and only one word is necessary. It's sin. Sin is what entered into this relationship and completely destroyed the relationship that God had with the human beings that he created and loved so dearly. Adam and Eve, the moment they ate of that fruit, they became sinners. And as you're able to look into the book of Romans, it says that they they passed their sin on down to the rest of humanity. I am a sinner. And though you're probably looking for words of encouragement this morning, you are a sinner. And and I, I stand before you today acknowledging I can't not sin. I mean, I can grit my teeth and say, okay, Lord, for the rest of my life, I'm going to go and I'm never going to disobey you again. And the question simply is, how long will it be before I break that promise? It's going to happen. I can't not sin. Neither can you. God is a holy God. He is unblemished. He is perfect in everything he does, everything he, he thinks, all the ways in which he acts. And yet here we are. A group of unholy people gathered in this room today. My life is filled with blemishes. My life is, is, I mean, we can make a list. If you were to start writing down all the sins you've ever committed in your life, how much paper would it take? Quite a bit. Because that's who we are. That's the nature of who we are. And we're able to come to a passage like Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been ashamed. All of us have hidden from the Lord. None of us measure up to the splendor of God. And and based on verses like that, we conclude, if God is indeed holy, and the Bible says He is, and if I am indeed a sinner, there is no hope. There is no hope for me. And yet, here you are today. You got up this morning. You were probably going to come whether there was heat in here or not. I commend you for it. You, you got ready and, and you drove over to the church this morning. And here we are singing, having a great time. Boy, don't you love singing those songs? I'm telling you, when we all get to heaven, I, that just, I just wanted to sing it louder than I was. I, I couldn't muster any more volume than I was singing it with this morning. It, it, was, it was such a privilege to be able to declare that through song. We are, we're a group of folks this morning, we are filled with hope. Why? Why are we filled with hope? Let me share with you a verse of scripture that tells you why we are filled with hope. And it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it is the last verse of scripture in that passage. Are you ready for it? Here it is. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who, who had no sin to become sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, I'm telling you what, that is one of the greatest verses of Scripture in the whole Bible. God made Him, that is Jesus, God made Him who had no sin to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God has reconciled us to Himself, and how did He do that? He did that through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus came to this earth. He is God come in the flesh. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. 
ultimately he died on the cross. The Romans and the Jewish leaders thought they were killing him as a criminal and as a blasphemer, but it was always God's plan. Scripture says he was the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. It was always God's plan for Jesus to die for us. He died on that cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. I deserve to pay for it, but he paid for it. They laid him in the, in the tomb. He was dead. On that Easter Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive forever and ever, and through his death on the cross and his ability to conquer death and the grave, we have the ability to be reconciled to God. I can have a personal relationship with God. The God that is holy, though I'm a sinner, I can have that relationship that was shattered through sin. I can have it restored through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, let me tell you, let me just say it one more time. You're a sinner. And try as you might, you can try all the things the world has to offer to make you happy and to give you satisfaction and to fill your life with purpose and you're going to spend every year of your life doing it and you will never accomplish anything. You will never succeed in this pursuit of joy because the only way we have joy is through a relationship with the God who created us and has given us a reason to live. And so I want you to know today, we're going to be talking as Christians this morning in just a few moments, but... But if you, as, a, as someone who's wrestling with purpose in life, and I want to say to you today that hope and purpose is found in Jesus Christ. That is why we are here, to have a relationship with God. And, and l- let me say to you, you may have a bunch of questions. When this service is over, of course, at the conclusion, if you're ready to give your life to Christ, Pastor Mike's going to be standing down here at the front. He would love to share with you how you can know Jesus and But if you have questions, you grab him or you grab me after the service is over. You grab a friend here in this place and say, I've got to have some questions answered about what it means to follow Jesus because that is your reason for existence, a relationship with the God that created you. That is why we're here. Well, I tell you, I love that verse in It Is Well With My Soul. Don't you? My sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Okay, so the bliss of what glorious thought? My sin, it was all nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well with my soul. Whatever happens in this life, it is well with my soul because I deserve to pay for my sin, but Jesus bore it all on the cross and has given us great freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you for just a moment here to consider, let me give you just a little bit of a visual before we jump back into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, as you, as you consider the Bible for just a moment, of course, I've, I've referenced Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1 and 2, perfect, God created, it was glorious. Genesis 3 is where sin enters into the world. And then we find that, As we look into the rest of Genesis, that Noah comes onto the scene and God rescues him and his family through the flood. And then after the flood, humanity just continues to make a terrible mess of things. And it just keeps going down and down and down until we get to the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, humanity pretty much says, hey, let's join together and let's do whatever we want and make a name for ourselves. And so now with that in mind, that's about the lowest of the low. That's about where humanity bottoms out. And so that's That's Genesis 1 through 11 right there, okay? Y'all can see that pretty narrow section of Scripture. 
Genesis 1 through 11. You know what the rest of this is? The rest of this is God reconciling sinful humanity to himself. And it's ultimately going to culminate in Revelation where we're going to walk with the Lord in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. I don't know what it's going to be like exactly, but it is going to be glorious. Glorious. I'm telling you, isn't it a privilege to gather here and celebrate the God that loved us though we were still sinners and he sent Jesus so we could be reconciled to him? But don't let that ever get old. Don't let it ever get old in your, in your life, the fact that God loves you so much that he has acted in order to reconcile us to himself. Now, as a result of reconciliation, what's happened to us? Right now, I don't know how long it's been since you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but, and I hope to keep your attention this morning, all right? But the unwritten rule, if I was going to be here for several weeks, here's what I would for sure tell you. If the preacher ever, if it ever starts getting boring, okay, I know that's, I'm probably not supposed to say that, but I think I've probably preached boring some in the past, and so, yeah, you may say that about this morning. But let me say to you, if you ever find yourself there, don't check out, just start reading the Bible, all right? There's been a lot of times God has speak to, spoken to me during a message, and it had nothing to do with the words that were coming out of the mouth of the preacher. So, so I, I don't want you to, to, to read all of 2 Corinthians right now, or 5, while I'm talking, but, but if, you, if you lose me, go ahead, because the Lord can speak to you there. All right, but what we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of the I love this passage of Scripture because when you, when you look at this chapter, and we don't have nearly the time to look at it in great detail, that's why I want you to read it sometime, but, but this has so many references to verses that are so familiar to us. And so here we are, we're reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's glorious, it is well with my soul. We sing when, when we all get to heaven, all these things. It's just put a song in our heart. When we're reconciled, what happens to us? Well, verse 17 answers that question. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, I, I become a brand new person. The old way of living has, has passed away. I become new in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15, back up there. Verse 15 says, He, that is Jesus, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised to life. We don't get out of bed in the morning living for ourselves. I mean, to be honest with you, we don't even get out of bed to live for somebody else. Ultimately, we get out of bed to live for Jesus. And when my life is in tune with Jesus, I'm going to be a blessing to everybody else that's around me. We live for him who died and gave himself for us. So what does living for Jesus entail? I mean, we're supposed to live for him in this verse, it says. What, is, what does that consist of? We have an idea. I mean, I mean, the standard list that we would give in answer to that question as far as how do you live for Jesus, we would, we would affirm you need to be reading the Bible. I mentioned that last week. Absolutely, we need to be reading the Bible. That's how we... That's how we learn about God. That's how he reveals himself, how we learn how to live for him. We need to be talking to him through prayer. We need to be active in church. You all are here today. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. We need to make decisions that honor God. We need to be good stewards of our resources. We can envision what, what this list consists of when we strive to live for Jesus. 
And with that in mind, let's look here and let's, let's read verses 15 to the, uh, down to 21 in their entirety and listen to this passage of Scripture. Again, let me repeat 15. For he, he, Jesus, died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What does living for Jesus entail? Look at the second part of verse 18 for a moment. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The next verse there, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 goes on, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. It's as though God is appealing to lost people through you. That is what this passage of Scripture tells us. It says at the beginning of verse 14, if you look back up there, why are we doing this? Verse 14, the beginning says, Christ's love compels us to do this. We love God so much and we love other people so much we can't stand the thought of them not enjoying reconciliation and it compels us to become ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in August of 1969, there was a man on vacation in Waikiki Beach, and, uh, and he, he's walking along this, uh, this beach there in Hawaii, and he looks out into the surf and sees a man swimming out there. And as he... As he watches the man, he realizes the man isn't actually swimming. Instead, he is, he is flailing the water, trying to, uh, trying to stay afloat, trying to keep his head above the water. This man is drowning. This bystander, as he watches the scene unfold, realizes the man's head is going under, and, and, and he has to do something. He races out into the water, swims out to this man who's lost consciousness, grabs this man, drags him to the shore, and resuscitates him. The man was, was saved. It wasn't long after that, in Palm Springs, California, a young boy was walking through a construction site. As this kid walked through this site, he came in contact with a, an exposed electrical wire that had 
lots of current passing through it, and he touched this wire, and he began to be electrocuted to death. There was a bystander there and watched what was happening to this young man, knocked him free of the wire, and resuscitated this boy, and this boy was saved. It wasn't too terribly long ago, or long after that, that uh, there was a man in Los Angeles International Airport that had a heart attack, and he collapsed to the floor. And, and there was a bystander there nearby that watched the scene unfold, and he rushed to the aid of this man, and he performed CPR on this man, and this man was, he was saved, he was resuscitated, and he lived. It wasn't long after that that a hiker was was hiking on, on some really jagged rocks, and he fell, and he severed an artery in his leg. And he was ultimately going to bleed to death out there hiking. Lo and behold, there was a bystander that saw that man fall, and he rushed to his aid, and he applied a tourniquet, and this man was saved. Not too terribly long after that, there was a, a woman eating at a restaurant, and she got choked on a piece of steak. She began to turn blue. She wasn't breathing at all. And, and wouldn't you know it, there was a bystander in that restaurant that rushed over to her table and performed the Heimlich maneuver on her, and she was saved. Wasn't long after that that a man was involved in a car accident, and and, and he was in terrible condition. He was bleeding profusely. Uh, somebody comes up on the scene. They assess the situation. They pull him out to safety. Rescue crew is called, and this man's life is saved. It wasn't long after that, a, a mother overdoses on drugs. And someone happens along, and they encounter her. And as a result of this bystander's actions, her life was saved. As a matter of fact, from 1969 to 1979, there were 19 such incidences, as I just mentioned. Incidents where a person's life was in jeopardy, and had someone not intervened, they would have ultimately died. Now, what's interesting about this is in each of those 19 incidents, we find that yes, this person would have died had someone not intervened. In each of these 19 incidents, we find ultimately, miraculously, if you will, there was always someone to intervene and come to the aid and save the life of this person who was going to die tragically. You know, there's one other thing in common about these 19 incidents. You want to know what it is? In each of those occurrences, the bystander was the exact same man. From 1969 to 1979, Dr. Max Bennis, 19 times, was there at the scene to save the life of someone who was going to die in a matter of moments, whether it was there on the shore in Hawaii, Los Angeles International Airport, at the restaurant, whatever it was, he came up on the scene. By trade... Dr. Max Bennis was an allergist. <laughs> Officially, he could have come onto the scene of that man having that heart attack and said, boy, it looks bad for you, but if you come out of this and have some allergy problems, I can help you with that. You know, lady, I'm sorry you're choking to death, but 
I see you've got a Kleenex there. If you live through this, you can come see me at my office. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Each of those instances, that man came upon the scene and he could see that he needed to act in order to save the life of each of those 19 individuals. And whether their nose ran or not, was that wasn't a topic of conversation. There was something much greater at stake. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what your level of education is. It doesn't matter what your adjusted gross income is or how many kids you have or don't have or your marital status or where you live, the size of your house, what your car's like. None of those things matter. We have been reconciled to God, though we do not deserve it. We have been reconciled to God. And God has left us on this earth to be ministers of reconciliation because He is making His appeal through us. Through us. And I'm telling you, if, if, if we saw somebody choking on a piece of food, whether I knew the Heimlich or not, I've seen enough TV shows, I would try it, okay? I'd break ribs, whatever it took. If I thought they were going to die, I would do whatever I could to try to come to their aid and see to it that they could live. We, as God's people, singing about the fact that it is well with our souls, singing about the fact that we're going to all get to heaven, it's going to be glorious. We, as God's people, are surrounded by people who are lost and dying and going to hell. Their problem is more than a piece of steak or drowning or a car accident. It is an eternal problem. And God, His plan is to make His appeal through us, through you through you individually and the church collectively. And so let us today, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember two weeks ago we talked about whatever happens as a church family, let us conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We need to be unified and unified around the mission. And then last week we, we talked about the importance of encouraging each other. Let us be a people that encourage one another. And I hope you've done that this week. And I, I hope you came this morning thinking, Lord, praying, Lord, please put somebody in my path that I can encourage. Please let me look for someone to encourage. And then as we do that, as we encourage each other, it is going to, remember, spur us on to live out the life God has called us to live. And a major part of the life God has called Christians to live is to be His ambassadors, to be His messengers, to be His ministers of reconciliation. If we don't tell other people how they can be reconciled to God, who is going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? Let us be so thankful to God for the reconciliation we have through Jesus. Let, let Christ's love, as verse 14 says, let, let His love compel us. Are you ready? Well, what's keeping us from it? Why don't we do this? Is it because I'm not that thankful to God for saving me? Ah, Lord, you know, I probably could have figured it out my, myself if you'd have given me enough time. Or, you know, heaven's not going to be that much better than hell. No, it's not that. What, what is keeping us from being His messengers? I have an old vehicle at the house, kind of an old hunting 
junker vehicle, okay, otherwise known as the vehicle my 17-year-old son drives. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I have this vehicle. I, I needed some work done on it, so I took it to a shop fairly nearby. The guy that works on it, um, he, uh, he's an interesting man, all right? He, uh, uh, depending on how early or late in the day I show up depends on how many beers he's had and, and what the language is like, okay? That's the man that works on my vehicles, all right? And, and I told my wife, I said, today's the day I have got to say something about Jesus to this man. That was this, this week. And God has just given me a great love for this guy. And um, so he, he worked on my vehicle. He's very honest. I really trust him. He's given me some great other vehicle advice, and I just really appreciate him. And I have a great burden for him. And so I, I said, all right, today's the day. I'm doing it. And so I, I went in and paid my bill, and we're just having casual conversation. And, you know, here I am, a preacher. Okay, I, I know this. Y'all never think along these lines. Y'all just jump in with great boldness. But I'm, I'm sitting here talking and praying, Lord, I don't know how he's got a beer can in his hand. I mean, oh, Lord, how am I going to do this? This is going to become so awkward. As soon as I mention Jesus, you know, you can talk about God all day long. God bless you, all this. Boy, as soon as you mention Jesus in the conversation, it, it changes things. Because Jesus is the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus changes things, and that's a good thing. But in my mind, here Satan's telling me, now you don't want to mention his name. It's going to make it real awkward. He's going to tell you to take your business elsewhere, all this kind of thing. Lord, I'm doing it. Christ's love compels me. I'm going to be with God forever. And I would hate the thought of this man missing out on the Lord Jesus Christ. So his wife's in there, and... So I just chunk it out there. I heard a fellow say the other day, just, just pull the pin on the grenade and throw it, okay? Just, whoo, just see what happens, all right? What do we have to lose? We're going to be in heaven. It's going to be great. So, <laughs> all right, this is a moment of transparency here. So, I mean, uh, so, so I, I did. I, 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 here's my leading question. Here's the question I usually lead with. Hey, you got any kind of spiritual belief? You never know what kind of answer you're going to get, but it always leads somewhere. You got any kind of, and I, I threw this question out here, and, and he, he throws his head back and goes, oh boy, now that's a question, isn't it? And I thought, oh, here it is. My worst fears are going to be realized. This is it. It's going to be real bad. And, uh, <laughs> and so we begin to have a, a, a conversation, and I try, try to start steering this thing, and his wife begins to, to talk. She jumps right in. And, and so he's, he's, he's standing there for a second, and, and, and I said, all right, do you, do you believe in God? And, and he defers, you know, he lets her, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I said, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah. She, she said, I believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, I was raised a Baptist. I said, okay, well, do you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he died for our sins, Savior of the world? And she said, absolutely. I said, so you've, you've placed your faith in Christ. Yes, I have. Well, by this time, he's walked out of the room, okay? So, created a diversion on me and slipped out. So, but this is a good conversation. I thought, well, there he goes. I'll never see him again. And, uh, and so, we talk a little bit here, and sure enough, he comes back into the room, begins to sweep up, and I was relieved by that. It didn't seem like he was mad that I'd brought this up. And we begin to have a conversation, and, um, I, you know, I would love to tell you 
that before I left that day, not only did I have a repaired vehicle, but that this man gave his life to Jesus. Okay, this is not how the story ends. But when I left that day, here is a woman who is raising her two grandkids and has never had them in church ever, though she knows she ought to have them in church. And by the end of the conversation, she is asking very specific details about our church. I've got to get my kids in church. I know where that church is. Would you bring me by some material on it? What do you have for kids? All these kinds of... I fully anticipate this woman coming and bringing her children to our church where they're going to hear about the Lord, hear about Jesus and what he can do to reconcile people. All right, so he heard, okay? He's, he's over here. I'm talking about you got to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He's hearing all this. And that is the end of my encounter. It's all that happened, okay? I'm hoping they come to church. It's going to be great. I'm going to be looking for them. But I say that to say this. I'm going to have something else happen to my vehicles. And, and I'm going to take it back to that man. And even on those times when I don't have something that happens to my vehicles, I think from now on I'm going to just start sticking my head in from time to time. may take them some cookies from time to time and just say, hey, how are you all doing? And the reason I share this is not that he had a story of coming to faith in Christ. I say that because I don't want that man spending eternity in a place called hell. It was awkward. It was, it was oh, I was worried about it. Lord, I'm going to blow this. This is going to be terrible. And I did it anyway. And, and I have a greater love for that man after having done it than I did before I did it. And, and you know what I did the next day and what I did this morning? I prayed for him by name. God, please save that man. Save those two grandchildren. And I'll do whatever I need to do. If you need to break my vehicle in order to see that man come to faith in Christ, whatever it takes. And that's of God, because I, I wake up in the morning thinking of all these reasons why, why I don't need to be talking to other people, because it's going to be so awkward. But it is God's plan that we be his ambassadors. It is as though he is making his appeal through us, through us. So pray for God to lob you a softball. You know, Lord, it, it would be great, wouldn't it, if somebody came up to you in Walmart and said, I'm begging somebody to help me know how to, how to trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Well, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I don't get many of those. Lord, come on, give us an opportunity that is so obvious that we just jump at it. But then, as his people, it is our privilege and responsibility to look for opportunities and to pray for people by name because they're lost without Jesus. And then, then ultimately, we've got heaven. It's going to be great. All right, we're all going to be together in heaven. It's going to be glorious. We'll be walking with God in the cool of the day. Pull the pin and throw the grenade and just jump out there and... and, and reference Jesus by name and let him do the work the pressure's off us then he's the one that saves we're just the ambassador we're just the ministers of reconciliation let's believe so much in what he's done in us that we want it for other people let us go let us tell